All right, what's up guys? We are live here. So my name is Mark Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Veritas Church in Iowa City. And I've actually got some Lord of the Rings playing in the background. This song is called Very Old Friends. So I'm going to have to get off because it's still playing and it won't let me get out. So here we go, guys. Ready for me to get this off. There we go. All right, we're back. So I'm here with Pastor Drew from Salt City Church up in Minneapolis with Pastor Jeff Dodge from here at Veritas Iowa City and Pastor Brian Dermody from Veritas Iowa City. And uh, so what we're doing is uh, we're in the language of Pastor Jeff over here. Uh, we're trying to fight isolation as all of us are kind of in our own spaces and trying to figure out how to navigate through this uh, challenge that's facing our world. And, and uh, I love your language, Jeff, of fighting isolation. You talked about that. Um, and there's some different ways we're trying to do that. We're not uh, social media influencers. We're just pastors and we're trying to figure out what this looks like to help our, uh, the people we're leading through this time to continue to be a voice of hope and good news and peace to be ambassadors of Christ. And um, I think, you know, during this time, I've, you, you always just want to be close to your friends. Uh, you want pastoral voices in your life, uh, voices of wisdom. There's a lot of voices. Uh, you want to have the clarity of what is, what is, what might God be saying in this? Uh, and you, you know, you want a coach. So you got, you got your friend, you got your pastor, you got a coach. And I thought, who better than you three guys uh, to pull in? One of the things we do every Wednesday, you think, why, why Wednesday at noon would we be doing this? Well, we gather as with a, a group of pastors from the area, um, Jake and Michael from Veritas I uh, up in Cedar Rapids, and they couldn't be here this week because they got a lot going on. Um, but we meet weekly on Wednesdays over the lunch hour to just process what's happening as pastors. So we thought, hey, let's, let's do that and just invite other people into the conversation. So really what this is, is a conversation with us as pastors and, um, and just want to talk this through. I just want to start by asking, how are you guys doing with this whole thing? Um, I want to hear from you guys. What's, what's been going on in your hearts through this? Yeah, I can jump in. I um, typically um, have, I guess, more even sympathized more than empathized with people who have anxiety because that hasn't been my story and um, hate, you know, that, that that is a lot of people's story and all that. But, but I have found maybe a taste of that, I guess, in a way. I was talking to some friends last night that... Um, it's just like a, a cloud of nerves, anxiety. I don't even know what to describe it because, you know, those of us who went through 9-11 and different things, there's more of these traumatic moments and, of course, reverberating. Of those. This is more like this lingering, just 
oppressive, just waiting and it's invisible and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I would have to say it's a new experience even for my own soul and trying to figure out how to respond well, how to respond spiritually, emotionally, even relationally with people and what's my responsibility even to others right now as a leader, you know? So I just feel like I'm, I'm kind of thrown in the deep end a little bit, even after uh, being around on this earth for a long time and in ministry a long time, I feel like we're in, in some pretty uncharted waters. So there's just an unsettledness in my own soul about it. So yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. Drew, what about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I think there's a number of things that come to my mind. Uh, you know, just in the different roles that I have and probably the one that's most real to me right now is as a dad, you know, um, even just dealing with questions that I never thought I'd have to deal with. My wife, Melissa and I were just talking this morning about, um, the, the reality that we have neighbors with even younger kids than our kids are. And so I came home from work yesterday and this little girl of our neighbors was at our house. And so Melissa and I are having this conversation, like, should we allow our neighbor's daughter who we're friends with to come into our house? And so Melissa and I are going back and forth, like, I don't know, maybe, maybe we shouldn't, you know, it seems like some of the things we're reading, we shouldn't do that. And so there's a level of just like, um, dumb tax. I feel like I'm paying, I mean, ignorance that all of us are paying and I'm trying to stay informed without going insane and staying grounded in scripture and then just make these practical decisions in life that are unprecedented. And I'm just finding that that's, it's just a lot of, takes a lot of mental energy and a lot of time just to to get onto the same same page and and then right you open up your app or you watch a little news and the script has completely changed the next day and the conversation has completely changed the next day and so it's almost felt like for me especially since you know about saturday like it's just been a a constant conversation And, um, you know, times of anxiety, times of confusion, and then uh, also just times of, uh, you know, fun conversations with friends and in community and and time in in the word. And Mm -hmm. and so I feel like like maybe um, in a unique way, uh, also just finding fellowship with God to be the only thing that seems to be stabilizing yeah yeah totally coach what about you how you been doing yeah i think you know as is i mean somebody who struggled with anxiety for the better portion of my life i think doing really well you know fighting for my mind um but the, the one thing that's probably been the greatest tension for for me right now is you know you've got so many people in the church world saying that, well, well, this is the time when people need pastors the most, right? So, so as pastors, we need to be moving toward those that are hurting 
those that are suffering, those that are full of fear and anxiety. So there's that component. But then on the other side of it, um, I'm getting ready to welcome my wife and I to welcome our fourth child into the world. And you want to talk about a vulnerable person, right? I mean, this is, in two days here on Friday, we're scheduled to, um, to welcome her into the world and she's going to be more vulnerable than most people. And so there's a good part of me that just wants to say, no, I just want to huddle my family up and kind of hunker down at home and protect them. Um, because it, you know, it's not so much about me getting the virus. Like eh, if I get the virus in all likelihood, I would be okay. But I don't want to expose my kids to it. And I certainly don't want to ex expose a newborn to it. And so as part of that battle, I felt so much guilt because over the past nine months now, I've looked so forward to walking this little girl into the world. And over the last two weeks, I've been burdened with guilt because I've been just feeling this sense of, I don't want to bring this little girl into this world, right? Into this world that's full of disease and futility and death and evil and sin. Um, but as um, so often happens, you know, Jeff gave me some, some wise words and just counseled me by saying, God may be setting this little girl up to have some tremendous influence in his name throughout her life because she's born into such a difficult time, you know, and we'll never forget when she was born. I mean, she's going to be born in the heat of this craziness of coronavirus. So. Yeah. Not but battling uh, wow. those tensions, you know. Man, what and that kind of leads into just what is keeping you guys grounded and your souls anchored in this time? What do you what are you guys doing to just cultivate peace and in the midst of all this? And Brian, I mean, for you to start because that's yeah. I can't imagine them. I mean, there's a lot of people that are in a similar situation, if it's not a newborn, it's maybe their own health or. Right. I, I, I would say, I, I'm, you know, I'm a very analytical mind. So I, I like to be in the word breaking down scripture. And, and that's how I get a lot of peace usually. But over the last week and a half, I've probably listened to more worship music than I have in any other 10 day period ever in my life. And, and the reason for it is, you know, I, I, I posted something on Instagram that I felt like God just dropped into my heart. He said, you, you need to worship your way out of anxiety. Um, because, you know, when we, when we worship, essentially we're, we're acknowledging what's most precious to us, right? Or what's most valuable to us. What's, what's worth the most to us, you know? And in times like this, you can really find out what is worth the most to you. Is it your security? Is it self-preservation? Or is it still God, you know? And in, in order to redirect your heart from worshiping uh, your own health or your own security or the certainty of your future or your bank account, you need to tap into your emotions to redirect your heart. And worship music is... For, for me, it's been an unbelievable way to tap into those emotions and redirect my heart away from other things to God. Wow. Brian, you know, Uncle Roger, he always says, 
anxiety is worshiping the problem. Yeah. I love how you said that. I've got to, we've got to worship our way out of the anxiety. Yeah. Wow. That's good. I, yeah, yeah I was listening to my lighthouse by Ren collective and mm-hmm. man, that, that song you play that and just the joy of, mm-hmm. uh, and, and many songs like worship, you know, Christ alone, cornerstone. I mean, different songs that I, I resonate with that brand cause that's been true. Uh, trying to pump that through the house and get yeah. that going for our family. Drew, what about you? What What's keeping you grounded? That was a few weeks ago at our one of our men's times at Salt City. One of our elders said that the practice of of his life for years has been starting in the Psalm of the day. So like today's the 18th. So he would start in Psalm 18 and then just read Psalm 18. Psalm 28, Psalm 38, Psalm 48, Psalm 58, so on and so forth. And he said he just reads until something maps onto his life. And so that resonated with me specifically in in this, but was already sort of practicing that. And it also reminded me of a couple years ago after my son uh, Jude was born with a congenital heart defect. I just found a new love for the Psalms and, and I've actually found this scenario to be most similar to that situation in my life where my son was born with a congenital heart defect, ended up dying five months and two days later. And just the anxiety I felt, the unknown and the, um, the dailiness of just new news, you know, you're sitting in a hospital room and it's like, Oh, this is going wrong. We got to do this medication. You don't really understand any of that. And I think what I found about the Psalms is that, you know, if the rest of the scriptures, uh, you know, what it primarily does is give you the truth, what the Psalms give you is a voice in the middle of suffering. And so like this, you know, just before getting on this call, I, you know, I open up to Psalm 18 And it just starts off this way, right? I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destructions assailed me. The cord of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. And already, as I'm reading that, you know, you're finding it mapping onto your own experience in life. You know, when you're not in the midst of suffering, you, you tend to read the Psalms, at least I, I do. And I'm like, man, these guys are so dramatic. <laughs> like, these guys just need to, to get a grip, you know, and, and get, some, get some counseling, get a good psychologist. And, somebody to share their problems with but then you actually start to go through things that are similar to what they were going through and you just realize holy cow like these type of cries from the heart are not the reflection of an overly emotional you know person who's just lost their their grip they're the real experiences that we all have when 
we're grieving things, yes, that can be idols, but are also just have been good gifts from God that, that we enjoy and that we should enjoy. And it's, uh, it's discombobulating to, to lose those things. So I've just been finding, finding my place in the Psalms and finding that it, almost all of them map, map onto my life right now. Yeah, that's such a good word. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, uh, I mean, hate to just jump on the bandwagon, but Psalms for me as well uh, have, have really been a gift. I, some of you guys know that I've been, this, this new kick that I have is you think the sky, it's, it's a way that I'm using to just recopy each of the Psalms day. And um, there's just something about having to go so slow because you're meticulously just writing out you know, without commentary, just rewriting the exact psalm across a page from it that has slowed my soul down to really meditate in a way that's been unique and new for me and for such a time as this. Um, even the last couple of days, the psalms have very specifically uh, re recalibrated my heart. Uh, even this morning, a part, sometimes I think when you go through difficulties, your heart is just fine-tuned to hear from God in all sorts of ways, not particular just to the, that crisis, you know? And so I just feel like kind of my ears are tuned in, and I, I just felt like God was walking me through um, some valleys that have nothing to do with the virus and nothing to do with this. But it's like I'm leaning in right now, so he could say almost anything, right? And I'm, I'm tuning in, um, so I'm grateful. And then I've had a couple of people give me some awesome books lately, some of you guys have maybe seen that bad boy. It's been around for a long time. Andrew Murray, one of his books. And I, I normally don't use devotionals or whatever. I just use my Bible. Um, but I have felt maybe more than on, on most occasions, a need to be spoken to, to be led, to be taught, you know? And uh, let me just drop one Andrew Murray bomb. <laughs> This is so good. It says, he stirs up your nest. He disappoints your hopes. He brings down your confidence. He makes you fear and tremble as all your strength fails and you feel utterly weary and hopeless. And all the while, he is spreading his strong wings for you to rest your weakness on and offering his everlasting creator strength to work in you. I mean, it's just those kind of words that I just felt like I was hanging on every syllable. You know what I mean? So just to be taught, to be led. So finding some cool voices, whether contemporary or old dead guys or whatever, you know, um, to just, yeah, be, be taught in, in a way that I maybe haven't been. So. Yeah. What do you guys think about, I mean, there's so Dude, you haven't answered the first two questions. We got to hear from you. <laughs> first, how you're doing. And then. Yeah, okay, well, let me just say how I'm doing. I, I'm not a person who's given to anxiety and worry. I'm an optimist, always looking into the future. Um, I, I have to be honest. I have struggled with just a weight in my chest, you know, just like it, it's not like. I don't know shortness of breath, but you're like, there's like a weight there. And some people describe anxiety with that. Like it feels like someone's pushing down on my chest. I, 
I felt that um, struggling with some sleep, you know, with waking up and, and some of it um, is, I think a little bit of the weight of leadership, whether it's your, you know, your family, everyone's kind of going into self-preservation mode in a way that's like all of a sudden hoarding doesn't sound like a stupid idea. You know, uh, you, you just, I'm probably one of those people that just would uh, kind of make fun of those people. But now it's like that, that's not crazy anymore um, based on what we're seeing. And so I think the reality of it, that even optimists have to face reality <laughs> once in a while. And, and I think that it has um, forced me to, to um, look at what is my optimism anchored in? Because sometimes your optimism is is anchored in my my life is just good my health has been good my it's not always that it's deeply rooted in the resurrection and in Christ um, it some of it has been an easy life or whatever and and now it's like getting put to the test and and I think that um, yeah it, so I'm I'm that's kind of why I need this conversation even with you guys just hearing how you're doing and and being like in this together and knowing that you're not alone. Um, what's keeping my soul anchored is uh, just God's word. I mean, just keeping those routines of being in the word every day. Um, I woke up at like 3 a.m. a couple nights ago and I just started in Isaiah chapter 40 and just kept reading until I fell asleep. And that was really good for me. Um, it, it has been hard though, even with the scriptures, sometimes it just all is a bunch of words, you know, and it, it's not, it's not like, Oh, this is just popped out at me. It's like, sometimes it's just a labor to even remember what I read because my mind is spinning with, you know, all the stuff that I've been hearing. So, um, it, it it's a battle. Uh, dude, I think that if I could riff off that for a second, because you guys are talking about worship music, obviously, tremendous tool i've also found just instrumental music is really helpful i've been in this chet baker craze for the last couple of weeks he's like a west coast jazz artist you know and so, um but even classical music just instrumental music is also something that i find kind of keeps the operating system or whatever rhythmic or preoccupied a little bit, you know, just delighting in something else out there instead of the clutter of thoughts constantly or whatever. So I, man, obviously worship music, but even just music in general, I think is, is something yeah. to turn to in these days, you know, it's, the mind dreaming. It gives you a sense of transcendence. Yeah. yeah listening to Lord of the Rings soundtrack a little bit too. And that's helpful. What, you guys, there's a lot of voices out there, um, constant, 24-7 um, news feeds and, and news sort, uh, sources, social media. What are some voices that you guys are tuning into for counsel? I mean, obviously, we've talked about God's word and that, but, but what are some other voices out there that, that have been helping you in terms of even just getting news and editorial on it? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple, um, 
I, I usually don't bat an eye reading, listening to anything from Gospel Coalition and Desiring God just because they're, they're so credible, you know. And they, they've put some good stuff out there that's tailored to what's going on in our country right now. But interestingly enough, we were just talking about this before we went live. I look for older people that have been Christians a lot longer than I have. And Ray Ortland is just, he's one of those guys that I want to be like when I grow up someday, you know. Um, he's Me just, too, Brian. Me too. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. And I don't want to let the cat out of the bag, but hopefully we can get him on this Wednesday roundtable one day, you know. Hopefully. We'll see. But he's just, there, there's just such a, a maturity a spiritual maturity about people like that, that don't get too high with the highs, don't get too low with the lows. Um, and just approach this with a sober mind, you know? Um, and amidst my anxieties and, and my fears, I need somebody like that, you know, who's, there's nothing new under the sun. And Ray Ortland has seen more under the sun than I have. And so I want to get some wisdom from him, you know? That's good. Yeah. Good word. Jeff, what about you? Yeah, I, man, I, I've been the one to preach against, you know, getting attached to your phone and getting on every news feed and, you know, and yet I find myself like having to say that stuff into the mirror way too often because I, I want to, what, what is the latest? Well, I better, you know, put Iowa in the search or whatever, like I'm going to narrow. What, what about me? How's this going to affect me or whatever? And so, um, I, I continue to look to like BBC that tends, tends to be globally what's going on. They tend to be the most global for me, you know, just to keep a, a pulse on it. But I've honestly been trying, read this book by John Mark Comer uh, on a uh, hurry, uh, reduce hurry. And so I've actually been, been trying to limit like say twice a day that I'm actually going to intentionally go on and see what's the latest. Because I also think it's the responsible thing in these kind of times to see what's the latest, right? I mean, even locally within our city. So, um, so that's what I would say. I, and now, which is not normally my practice, I might do some more searches. Type in Iowa City. Type in state of Iowa. Today, I looked at what the governor's office was coming out with. Just because, again, as a leader, I feel like I've got to be telling our connection group leaders what to expect. You know, we put out one notice on Monday about how they could uh, meet together as a connection group and had to send out another one saying, actually skip that, you can't do that anymore. You know, so uh, yeah. so there's a sense in which we, we need to be responsible, but it can, yeah. for me at least, that can take me down a whole thread of chasing too many stories and there's actually not that much new, but I'm getting all these voices. So yeah. yeah, a couple of times a day, I guess, going to some yeah. news. It's uh, this is the book that Jeff referenced, yeah. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, we have our staff reading through that, and maybe we can get to that uh, more a little bit. Drew, what what about you? What what are some voices you're tuning into? Yeah, I think what's true is that when you're in a time of suffering, is not the time to develop your theology of suffering, and so you're either prepared or you're not. Because the panic is here. And so, you know, flipping over to Gospel Coalition and reading an article about the sovereignty of God or getting somebody's take on, 
you know, a specific pass, passage of scripture. It's, it's just hard to marinate that into your heart if that's not already been something that's been a conviction of your mind. Um, but so, one thing that I've been actually um, just instructing like our younger staff to do is to get updated on what's going on in the world. Because what I've actually seen is, you know, there was a student in our ministry who was overseas, came back, got off that plane. And the, you know, the staff on the plane said, you guys need to kind of quarantine yourselves and, and, you know, don't get around people and whatever. And this student who's a believer immediately called a bunch of friends and said, let's have a house party. You know, let's just everybody get together. Let's have a house party. And I feel like it's my responsibility as a pastor to be informed. And honestly, I find myself having a lot of just very straightforward conversations with people. I made a call to a couple that I'm doing pre-marriage counseling with this week and said, hey, guys, cancel your wedding now. They're getting married May 8th. Said, you got to cancel your wedding. I'm not going to do your wedding, you know. Wow. And, and that's because what's happening is this generation that's coming up, I'm not that old, I'm 35, you know, but this generation coming behind me, they didn't have the same experience I did at 9-11. I'm 17 years old when 9-11 happens. The first class I have is 70s and 80s with Mr. Brewer. My teacher, Mr. Brewer says, okay, guys, you're going to war. Like, you guys are going to get drafted. You could die for your country. And, and I remember walking in a fog after that. And I, I feel like this is that moment for this generation. And a lot of them are just oblivious to the moment, you know? And um, I'm not saying I wouldn't have been, you know, at their age. But wow. I think with, with responsibility and time and seeing a few things, you know, you feel the moment more. So I think that I do actually want want some of them to get their head buried in their news feed mm. on these very sobering stories. And because I think that God's word isn't going to speak to you in the way that we're describing if you don't grasp the reality of the situation. Like just one stat I saw, it's like 500,000 people are likely going to die in our country. I mean, just the staggering, I mean, as many people will die of coronavirus as will die of cancer in the coming year. And wow. like you need, you need to get punched in the gut with the information in order for Psalm 18 to sing to your soul in the morning. Wow. Dude, that's, that's so powerful. I'm, this is why these discussions are good. Can I? <laughs> I like I'm really learning. Because you know what, when that happened to me, Drew, is, was it just yesterday or maybe the day before when President Macron from France declared war on the virus? And for me, at least, I mean, my, my dad, World War II, um, you know, paratrooper got dropped into the Battle of the Bulge and French. And so when you see the president of France declaring war, this is on a virus, but that language, you know what I mean? Like had, had a big impact and, and war language, you know what I mean? And to the link, there's not a lot of people that have hooks for that. You know what I mean? <laughs> to, to like, to think about the gravity of what the, they're using their words very intentionally, right. To, to 
bring people to a response. And if that's lost, if that imagery or whatever is lost on a generation, we might have to like put the exclamation points. When a guy, when the president of France says that, <laughs> we should be totally. And even at, even at a local level here, you know, I'm, we had our elder meeting on Tuesday morning on Zoom and talking to our elders and, and our oldest elder, you know, in his low 60s, looks at us and said, this is the greatest crisis that I have ever faced in my life. Wow. Wow. You know, he owns a, a small painting business and, you know, has already had all these clients cancel and the economic impact, the threat to people's health. And he said the only thing that he could compare it to is talking to the generation above him about when the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. You know, that that he views this in that same category. That's and I'm just like, man, I just want to circle up everybody, you know, who's Drew, what is it? high school, whatever, and have that conversation too, you know. And and the language of war is not hyperbole when it's right. You know, it's not just um, hyperbolic language, but Drew, what is, what is your, what is your theology of suffering for those that, how, how do we think about being anchored in God during this time? You yeah. said it's not the time to develop a theology of suffering when you're suffering. Um, but for those that are like, can you help me think through this? Yeah, so one of the books I picked back up um, on Monday at our staff meeting, you know, kind of maybe our last in-person meeting that we'll have for a while, I had Jordan, our college pastor, and I each brought kind of our seven best books on the goodness of God and, and suffering. And we just threw them on the table, and I just had each person kind of start a book, and I'm like, just continue reading it. If you got nothing else to read, just continue reading this. And let's anchor our minds in the truth. So we did an hour of reading, then we did an hour of discussion, then we did an hour of prayer. And this is the book I picked up, How Long, O Lord, by D.A. Carson. I think that might be backwards. But, but anyway, um, at the end of the first chapter, he, he basically goes through this super complicated discussion of, of the problem of evil and suffering and all that. But he just ends in the most simple way, which, which I appreciate D.A. Carson so much because he's obviously brilliant and and speaks that academic language, but then he just is able to crystallize it and boil it down. And I so resonated with this at the end. He said, um, what do we do with a God who loves us so much he sends his son to bear that kind of suffering? How must these realities that lie at the very center of our faith bear on our understanding of the problem of evil and suffering? From any Christian perspective, our theoretical and practical approach to evil and suffering must fasten on to the cross or we are bound to take a false step. And so what I'm encouraging people is if it doesn't pass the test of the cross, it's not good theology. And so what we can say about the cross, for example, is we can say that the cross was 100% the design of God. It was purposed by him before the foundation of the world. And we can say about the cross that it was the work of evil men. And so what we have to be able to say, for example, about the, the coronavirus is, this is the design of God. This is under God's control, under his sovereign sway. Every 
molecule, every part of this disease. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but Corona actually means crown. My dad was explaining this to me. Corona means crown. The reason it's called the coronavirus is because if you zoom on it microscopically, it looks like a crown. And so I showed a picture to our staff and I said, remember, the coronavirus reminds us, even in its molecular structure, that God is on the throne. God is the king. He, like, coronavirus is not out of his control. But we also have to say that it's the result of a broken, sinful world, and that human beings, by their sinful actions, have brought about a creation that is groaning. And so, if it doesn't pass the test of the cross, it's not good theology. So we have to remember God is in absolute control and he loves us and he's purposing what's good for us. And then when you get, we get to a verse like, you know, Romans 8, 28, that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We understand that the very things that he's talking about are things like this. God works coronavirus for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you just got to keep reading in places like Romans 8. And it's going to encourage you because we see that, you know, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Even if there's persecution and nakedness and danger and famine and sword, and we're being killed all the day long like sheep, even in all these things, we're more than conquerors because of him who loved us. Who's the one who loved us? It's he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he also not with us graciously give us all things? So in other words, what Paul is saying is the same thing that D.A. Carson's saying. He's saying the measure of the love is not the circumstance. The measure of the love is the cross. Mm. It's wow. the cross. We got to just keep, we got to go back to the cross. Bring people to the cross. Let them filter it through the cross. Ask your people, does it, does it? pass the test of the cross because if it doesn't pass the test of the cross throw it out it's bad theology man holy whoa, whoa drew uh it's it's interesting because my uh philosophy of religion professor in college you know basically said on the last the, the question for the class was is belief in god a viable option in today's society and we went through and studied the five classical arguments for God's existence and the rebuttals. And at the end of class, the last week, he passed around the famous picture, National Geographic picture of the vulture waiting for the child to die, the starving child and the vulture in the background. And, um, and the guy who took the picture, I think, ended up committing suicide just because it was so devastating. Um, to him and, and, and our professor at basically said, the answer to this question is no, belief in God is not a viable option. How can you believe in a God who allows this? And it's, you know, it passed around the pictures of starving children and said, how could you believe in a God that allows this? Um, I think as we see this, and it's gonna be people we know that die of coronavirus, I think, Drew, that theology is going to be put to the test. How can we believe in a God who allows us? And I think basically what my 
professor was saying is, um, because I can't find meaning in this suffering, there is no meaning in this suffering. And I think that that's, that's just an incredibly, in some ways, arrogant statement to make, you know, because it assumes omniscience. It assumes that I know everything. And because I personally can't find meaning in it, there can't be meaning in it. I think your example of the cross is, I mean, that's the crescendo of the Bible, uh, is the cross. It is where God brought meaning out of the worst kind of evil, uh, uh, why do bad things happen to good people? That happened one time. Uh, it happened on the cross. And God brought life, salvation, resurrection through it. Um, I think that's a huge thing in this time to work through is, is the only place to look is God himself. Hmm. Where else are you going to look? Because health, bank account, 401k, economy, job. I mean, all of our, the ground is shaking under our feet. And, and so I, yeah, I, I resonate. I was just going to say, I, I think Drew, um, the, even though this is a, a kind of a bad time to start getting a theology of the cross, like you should have it already. I would also say even your own depth of understanding of suffering was anchored in the real life suffering that you went through. Thus you were crying out for help and, and a theology of suffering. You know what I mean? So I guess what I'm trying to say is if people out there listening, whatever, watching, um, don't waste this suffering, don't waste this anxiety and decide now you are going to chase this down and drink deeply of Romans eight, drink deeply of the book of Hebrews, drink deep. Well, of the whole Bible, <laughs> you know, but I mean, go to some of those select passages and whether it's a trusted mentor like D.A. Person, I mean, Mark, you've been really drinking deeply of Elizabeth Elliot, a way more kind of uh, bottom shelf level, but certainly anchored deeply in the word theology of suffering from Elizabeth Elliot. I would, yeah, I, I would commend that, that Elizabeth Elliot's book, Suffering is Never for Nothing. It is so good. And to hear the voice of an older woman, she's gone now, you know, it's been, it's been a few years um, since she passed, but that voice of somebody who, I mean, uh, her husband was killed and, you know, while she's on the mission field and just her journey and, and uh, an example of a theology deeply rooted in the sovereignty of God. What I, I want to hear just if one of you right now could just proclaim the gospel because this is a time when we say the cross test. What is the good news in the midst of this time? I mean, if, you, if there was somebody watching that was just like, I don't know what I believe. Uh, I don't know. Theology is suffering. I don't know. Heaven and hell is this real. Um, the ground is shaking. I just, what is the good news? Like if you could take this book and just summarize it and say, here it is. Here's the good news in a 30 second, just to a minute. Coach, you're on coach. No, me too. 
I'm not good at the philosophy stuff. I'm good at the practical stuff. I was getting ready. To it's very practical, man. It's I mean, uber practical. From, from the from the non-believers that I'm talking to, their their biggest issue right now is they're searching for certainty and security, and they can't find it. Right. And Mark, you talked about optimism or hope in the future, you know, and I've heard you define hope as optimism um, about the future based on truth, right? Kind of the definition of hope that you've given before. And so in talking with a lot of non-believers before we all got quarantined, um, just encouraging them that th there is only one, one true place where you can find certainty, where you can find optimism about the future and you can find security. And that's in the cross, right? That's in, that's in a very real historical event, the hinge point of human history that we put our hope in. It's, I mean, it, it's not, you know, it's not a blind leap of faith like a lot of people. They're saying, well, you're putting your, you're, you're putting your faith into something you can't even see, something that you don't even know is sure, something that you're not quite sure exists. At least I'm trying to still put my faith in stuff that may be dwindling and futile, but still does exist. And I say, well, actually, no. I'm putting my faith in something that's a lot more certain than the things that, that you think are real because mine is based on an actual historical event that ensures that everything that is wrong about the current situation will be made right one day. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the good news is that um, although we groan right now along with the rest of creation because of the consequences of sin, Restoration, complete, total, 100% restoration of our joy and happiness can be had through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the good news, you know? Mm -hmm. Just trying to get... I mean, I think you're right, Coach, and, and even that, you know, e even somebody that's never picked up the Bible has even just been to a funeral or something has had heard that phrase, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Yeah. It's that the Bible gives us language to say we've all got a shelf life. We're all going to die. You know, we even talk about you're going to meet your maker. You know, get ready to meet your maker. You know, all those kind of phrases that just culturally get swept around. Um, it's it's because we've got these these catchphrases that are supposed to remind us that we have a shelf life. Coronavirus comes around, and all of a sudden we're startled to actually stare at that shelf life, to stare at the reality of. Uh, the, the curtain closing, but it's, it's good news for us. That's also part of the good news to live in the reality of we are going to die. We are going to face judgment, but knowing that while we still have breath, we can look to the author of life, the creator of all things and actually find life forgiveness, hope for that future. So that when that curtain closes and it certainly will, if not through this virus, at some point, right. um, we can find hope in that God, the life of God through Jesus Christ. And this, this is the wake-up call, right? This is, the good news is it's, it's time to settle up, to, to become aware of something that's true. And you've just been maybe running away from that truth, suppressing that truth. It's time to awaken to that truth of the certainty of mortal death and cling on to Jesus Christ mm. who alone has. Yeah. And that's why this is a massive act of mercy by God, yes. not just toward non-believers, but toward believers too, because mm -hmm. my counsel to believers right now is, 
you know, in the, in the typical life of a Christian, God is going to give you hundreds of these teachable moments where he can sanctify you, right? The problem in those teachable moments is they're, they're moments. And so we miss a lot of them and don't grasp the, the opportunity to be sanctified through them. The other, the other obstacle in those moments is we cherish our comfort more than we cherish the other side of sanctification. And so we kind of suppress those moments of, of sanctification. My wife always tells me that her idol is comfort. And so when she's challenged by God, i.e. God's trying to sanctify her, she wants to suppress those. And, I, and she said, like, Brian, like, how can you be teachable amidst moments like that? How can anybody? And I said, well, you have to look at the back end of that, right? You have to look at the other side of sanctification, right? And if we can do that as Christians, because these aren't just teachable moments, this is 24 hours a day right now, right? So this is the perfect training ground to train your soul to cherish the other side of sanctification more than we cherish your present. You keep using the word sanctification. What, how would you describe what that word is to someone who might be listening? That God making you more like Jesus? Using either the people or the circumstances of your life to make you more like Jesus. So God could be using this circumstance to make you more like Jesus. 100%, yeah. I mean, one of the ways he's doing that to me right now is in times of desperation, um, he really has a way of trimming the fat from your life, so to speak, okay? So some really insignificant practical examples. Okay. I have imagined this. I have not been able to go to the gym for two weeks now. Okay. Oh. Like, what does that mean for me? Right. And you know what? If there, if there was any idolatry left in that, it's gone. Guess what? I might run out of protein powder right no. now because okay? I can't no. go to the store. I might not be able to eat grass fed beef in a couple weeks because we're going to run out. You know what? Stop. Stop right now. I know exactly. It's, it, I mean, that. I think, I mean, those are in Revelation as signs of the end times, you know? No, I'm kidding. Uh, but seriously, okay, you know what's really important to me? Guarding and leading my family. That is absolutely what's at the top of the list right now. It's not being able to get to gym and make sure I keep my strength up or make sure I eat perfect or school. I love school. My, my seminars canceled. I can't go to campus now. I mean, so like trim the fat from your life. That's what times of desperation do. Allow God to trim the fat from your life. Mm. Good, Drew, give me just your quick 20-second gospel. What's, what's your bottom line on the good news? Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, the gospel um, is that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And so we find ourselves in this desperate situation and we think that our biggest problem is this virus and how that's going to affect our communities, our individual lives. But the Bible actually locates the problem in a different place and says that the problem is that we're rebels against God. And so what this virus does is it puts a flashlight on the real problem if we'll allow it to and and that's that we need someone to bridge that gap between us and god and jesus has done that through the cross because 
the Bible says that he who knew no sin, so Jesus didn't ever sin, became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the righteousness of God just means perfect obedience. It means perfect conformity to God's will for our lives. And so when we trust in Jesus, we are seen by God as if we had never sinned. And what that gives us is the hope of eternal life. And so the way that that impacts you in these moments is all of us are asking the question, what if? What if my grandpa gets coronavirus and dies? What if my mom or dad does? What if I do? What if my child does? And what the gospel allows us to do is it allows us to say, even if the worst thing that I can think of happens in my life, God is still good and I still have hope. And so we're allowed to, we can dislodge our hope from the things of this world and place our hope squarely in God. And, and I'm not saying that as a theory, guys. I, I mean, a year and a half ago, I stood next to the bed in a hospital room in Minneapolis. I stood next to the bed of my five and a, five month old dead son. And, and I'm telling you, in that moment, my heart was filled with hope. And, and I actually had this aha moment where I realized even if the worst things happen, nothing changes for me at, at the foundation. Nothing changes. And there's something so freeing about that. Like, you can rejoice even if the worst thing happens, you know, the foundation is still there. And, and I was even thinking about that. I was reading an article about Martin Luther's response to a, a plague and how he's going door to door and ministering people who had, you know, who had the plague and, and he's not worried about it. Of course, they didn't have a good germ theory then either. So they didn't really understand why people got the plague or he probably <laughs> wouldn't have been doing it, but, but he's going house to house. And I, and I just had this, and it's kind of a ref, funny reflection on it, but I'm just like, Martin Luther's death. <laughs> like, like, I mean, all of us are going to die, right? And so all the, the coronavirus is doing is it's bringing all of the inevitabilities of life to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Like, if coronavirus doesn't get you, something else will down the road, you know? And, and so it really makes us ask those, those questions that, mm -hmm. that a lot of us are afraid to ask yeah. in the normal rhythms of life. Yep. I would just say the simplest way I could say it is um, I'm a sinner and Jesus is my only hope. If you're looking for the good news and uh, I, I wonder from you guys, let me, let me just transition it to um, pastorally. I want to ask you guys some questions. How do you answer this? Yes, hear my son banging on the door behind That's, me. I love the interruption behind you, Drew. That just actually makes it so much more authentic. Oh, and open the floodgates. We're gonna have a yeah. We're gonna have a BBC moment with your kids coming in here any minute if they can pick that lock. They're gonna bang. <laughs> I hope it happens, Drew. Guys, um, there are 
by the way, what they're talking about is there's five kids on the other side of that door right now. That door is locked, but they're they are building a battering ram out of everything that they can find right now. <laughs> so you think your life's rough under quarantine? Just pray for me, yeah. please. Yeah. Oh my word. You can only wish you were alone right now, Drew. <laughs> exactly. And now there, somebody's getting called. Um, here's a question that I got from someone. Um, one of the leaders in Veritas was, is my feeling of anxiousness with regard to the virus, either getting it or passing it on, is that anxiety a sign of my lack of faith in God? If people are feeling anxious, does that mean they're lacking faith? Well, maybe, but that's forgivable. <laughs> I mean, I, don't, <laughs> I, I mean if, if what it takes to get to heaven is perfect, rock-solid faith that never doubts, never questions, never wavers, then, man, I'm sunk, right? I mean, I... <laughs> I'm glad that my faith is anchored in God's faithfulness to me. It's his perseverance to keep me. It's not my perseverance to hold on with rock solid, never wavering, never questioning. Faith. And so uh, the, the answer to that for people is not to try to deny it or um, do mind bends or whatever to kind of, no, face those questions, face those daunting uh, kind of challenges to faith and dig back into the word and see that God actually has answers for those and talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, I'm calling and texting all of our, the connection group leaders that I'm at saying, what do you need? What do your people need? Hey, how can we talk this through? Cause these are uncharted waters, you know? So I'm just saying like, no, it might actually be that your faith is going to become more rock solid, more deeply anchored, more rooted because you're allowing it to be challenged right now. And you're going to seek some answers that actually really, really last. So, that, that'd be thing, you know, as somebody who's, like I said earlier, struggled with anxiety, I, I don't worry about answering that in the affirmative. I mean, it's a lapse in faith, right? I mean, and that's what every sin is. It's a, I mean, it's a lapse in your faith. But practically in this situation, I would just tell people, um, don't, don't confuse the anxiety. Uh, the activities that go along with anxiety with the posture of heart that anxiety produces, right? So anxiety is really a posture of your heart, you know? And my wife is, she's been anxious this whole winter because of sickness. You know, we had a, a winter a couple years ago where we were just sick for like five months straight, basically our whole house. And since then she's been so anxious. And she said, Brian, I'm sorry about being so crazy and so anxious about this. And she was referring to some of the practices that she was doing around the house, like disinfecting things, you know, and giving our kids antioxidants and stuff like that, and constantly doing the, the laundry and stuff like that. And I said, Carrie, I said, God honors your diligence and your wisdom that you're applying to this situation. It's the anxious heart that doesn't align with God's character, right? So it, part of your sermon, Jeff, was like, let's heed the advice that people are giving us in the situation. So just because you're, you know, you're not shaking hands with people and you're staying three feet away from people and you're not gathering in groups, that doesn't mean you're anxious, 
right? Anxiety is not those practices. Anxiety is a posture of your heart. So keep being wise and being diligent in those practices, washing your hands and all that stuff. But just work on the, the posture of your heart, right? That's good. Mm. That's good. Um, what would you say to, there's a lot of people in our churches uh, that are struggling, whether it's, I mean, everywhere from, we have a lot of, I mean, here in Iowa City, it's a medical community. We have many um, physicians, uh, doctors, nurses, um, first responders in our church um, that are affected by this. You know, they're, yeah, this is, this is hitting them hard. I had a friend that, you know, treated someone with COVID-19 and um, all of that. I guess my question to you guys, uh, small business owners that are hit really hard, people, it, it's affecting them deeply. What, um, I guess, what would you say to them or how do we, how do we walk with people through this? I, yeah, I think, um, one of the things that we don't want to say is I understand because I think all, all of us would say we're sitting in a, a place of privilege and, you know, we feel, yeah, we're, we're trusting in God and we feel security in him, but we would also say like there's security in the reality that our jobs are pretty well secure and and recession proof and there's some money in the bank and in our churches and and we're not afraid of um, the exact same realities we're not on the front lines of of this in the same way that a small business owner would be or a, a medical professional would be and um yeah i actually remember jeff saying to me right after jude was was born he said here's the the crazy thing about this is that the circumstance is so overwhelming that nobody can help you but jesus and and i i think that's what i would say to them nobody can help you but jesus and the the problem is so great and and so large that we we don't have necessarily the next step of wisdom for you or there's no playbook that anyone's reading from no one has like exalted knowledge you know because wisdom requires experience and none of us have experienced this and so I think man I just yeah my my heart just and I've been sending text messages to my friends who are in those situations too and and you know calling them and and just checking in with people in our church who are in those those circumstances but i think at, at the end of the day my my heart just goes out to them yeah mm. jeff what about you yeah i i would say amen and amen and also help them to embrace philippians that even other people are more important than they are you know what i mean to even gently help them also to see that likely there are other people even more deeply impacted. And part of what happens for all of us is to begin to pray for and care for others. That's, that's the Jesus way, that's the gospel way, really believing that those others are more important. 
And so I've, I found myself doing that as well. But just really what you're saying, Drew, I'm, I'm challenged by the heroic, the heroic efforts of many. Uh, another friend of, of all of us on this team is right now serving in that zone and texting back and forth with his very real issues going on, you know. And, man, all of a sudden realize, yeah, yeah, I've got dangers here and things going on. But, oh, man, how can I be in constant contact and praying for my buddy who's right now in, in a warfare combat zone. And that has made its way, not even to the back pages of our newspapers. We're thinking about those guys, you know? So I'm just saying like, in a helpful, gentle way, get people to, to take a deep breath, look at the whole world and be like, okay, we're all in this together and let's, let's all pull for each other and pray for maybe somebody that's, you know, in a weak or more vulnerable position. Yeah. As a, oh, go ahead, Brian. Well, I was just gonna say, Um, creating a future that doesn't exist in your mind, if you're, if you're in that position where you're a business owner, for example, and your business is struggling, there's only wisdom in thinking about what future circumstances are going to be, but creating a future that does not yet exist in your own mind could lead you to not first looking out for others' interests ahead of your own. Does that make sense? We, we can not be faithful with what's right in front of us. And we can think six months, a year, two years down, down the road, what we think will happen. And that can cause us to go into self-preservation, right? And say, well, actually, I'm not going to look out for the best interests of others. I'm going to look out for me because I think two years from now, this is going to be the situation. So, so don't do that. Don't create a future that doesn't exist because that can just lead to anxiety. Um, and a future where God doesn't exist because you don't know the future. So any, any, a future that you create in your own mind is one where God doesn't exist and whether it, there is cause for anxiety. So yeah. use wisdom, but be faithful with, with what God has put right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, practically our, you know, I was in a text conversation with one of our elders yesterday about financially how we as a church are going to respond. I mean, we, we do have money in the bank and we want to use that to bless our people who are going to be affected by this. And we don't want any member of Veritas to not be able to pay their bills or to have food. And so like in Timothy, you know, let us do good to all people, but especially those in the household of God. I think uh, that's something we want to, as this goes on, we're going to really try to stay dialed in to what are the needs of the people in Veritas and then even extending beyond that um, to people who, you know, attend Veritas and then to our community. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to um, go ahead and wrap this up. So guys, thanks for joining us. Um, we're going to uh, maybe be back next Wednesday, maybe tomorrow. We'll, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Um, but it's great talking to you guys. Thanks for your insight. And uh, yeah, I'm going to shut it down. Uh, may God bless all of you and, and give you grace and peace. Uh, Pastor Jeff has a daily podcast called Catch Your Breath. I would encourage you to check that out. Uh, it releases every morning. Um, and uh, so, yeah, may God bless you and keep you. We pray. Amen. <laughs>